This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, presented by VT Scoop on 247sports.com. Get out of here and get something cold to drink. <laughs> Y'all want to, too, you know it. All right, let it rip, let it rip, let's go. All right, everyone, we are back with Inside the Tunnel. To be quite honest with you all, I don't really know what we're doing here. We haven't been podcasting in almost two and a half months, but we're back. And we're back because Virginia Tech football is coming back in 10 days. I'm joined by Doug Bowman. We are super excited to be here, break down what Virginia Tech has to offer in 2020. Doug, how are we doing tonight? I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm just a little cautious. I don't want to jinx anything right now by declaring everything back at this point. Uh, we're just going to hold out hope to get a game in here in, uh, I guess, a week and a half. But everything just feels like we're tiptoeing around it, hoping to eventually get there. Yeah, and I know that we made some promises and said, you know, we're going to do one every two weeks. But it gets really tough with the quarantine and not a lot of action happening. And luckily, with press conferences, with players giving quotes and the team practicing again and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully playing in 10 days. It makes it a lot more enticing to come back, jump on this podcast. We're a lot more motivated to do so. And look, short-term mindset, we're going to come out here. As long as the Hokies play, we will be on here. That is a guarantee. We'll see what happens. But starting off with what happened today, press conference with Justin Fuente, an eventful one at that. We can go in chronological order here. Tough news to start off the press conference. Jaden Payout, out indefinitely with surgery on his ankle. He was expected to be a big-time contributor for Virginia Tech. Obviously didn't play last year. Redshirt freshman, four-star prospect. Honestly, this is tough news because... This is a guy that if you followed him along in the recruiting process, he was a track athlete, a guy that probably could break 4-4, a barn burner, a guy that can run over the top. Early reports from camp were that him and Braxton Burmeister were just the one-two combination. Uh, Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans out there. So it is tough to hear that he's not playing, and honestly... Looking at Virginia Tech, looking at the depth at wide receiver, they brought in guys in, from the transfer portal just to, to bring more bodies into the room. Losing Damon Hazleton as Akaya Grimsley. You need someone else there. It looked like it was going to be Jaden Payout. And now, unfortunately, we don't get to see him. We'll have to wait yet another year before we get to see him. Yeah, he was a guy that We'd all heard, I mean, even going back uh, tail end of last year, even when he first kind of 
stepped on campus last fall that he was showing potential of what he could definitely do. Um, took a redshirt year. Uh, I think he was a quarterback in high school, so just kind of learning wide receiver, but clear talent, um, but also clearly not uh, not solid enough at this point in his career to for Virginia Tech's coaching staff to be completely confident in going into you know the 2020 season with just him there, which is why you know they had a guy like Shanga Hodge and Evan Ferris over the offseason to come in and compete with him and the other the other younger returners. But um, it's a tough break for him knowing that he was going to be a big part of the, at least a, a sizable part of the offense is just a redshirt freshman. It kind of feels almost like the Caleb Farley injury from a couple of years ago and he had such a big, um, big spring and then was had some huge expectations for the fall, but then tore his ACL early in camp. So uh, tough, tough loss there. Clearly wide receiver, the second wide receiver spot behind uh, Trey Turner is one of the, it's one of the spots we've been talking about all all season, and like I said, clearly the coaching staff is concerned about it by bringing in a couple graduate transfers. So we'll see how that uh, position develops going forward. Yeah, and it's tough too because you always kind of gravitate towards the guys that you haven't seen, and with payout, you just look at his measurables. You look at all the praise he was getting from all his teammates during the press conferences throughout the off season. And you kind of just think, okay, could he be the guy to, you know, unlock this offense finally? And, you know, it seems that Virginia tech finally has all these pieces, finally a stocked running back room. All they really need is a wide receiver too. And, you know, with that being said now, which way do you turn? You know, who who's a guy in your opinion or guys in your opinion that you think could step up into that role now that payout is officially done for the season? Yeah, the tough thing with payout was even as the this the second outside receiver, you know, he brings a little bit of a different skill set as kind of that that burner you were talking about, the guy that can really stretch the field. I don't think Tex had that. Um, you know, Trey Turner does a little bit, but he's certainly not a a pure speed guy like payout would have been. So now you're kind of left picking up the guys, the two guys they brought in from Kansas and Evan Fares and Villanova and Shanga Hodge. Um, you got the returning guys like Elijah Bowick and Daryl Simmons. Um, and Caleb Smith is another guy that they're looking at. I think, you know, I never thought the second outside receiver spot was going to be like the, the number two target on this team. Uh, you know, when you think about Tavion Robinson, he's going to get some time out wide. James Mitchell, he'll get some time out wide. Raheem Blackshear might get some time out wide. Um, but those are kind of behind Turner. I think those are the three other guys that are really going to be. So this this spot, even if payout was healthy, it was likely to be like the fourth or fifth target in terms of production, um, consistent touches, week in and week out, but um, clearly they want to find somebody um, that can, that can work there and, and at least take some pressure off those other four guys. I think you're, I think most likely you're going to see a, a committee approach of sorts there with Hodge and Fares and Bowick and Simmons and Smith and those guys. And then you mix in Robinson, who's probably better in the slot, but he'll play some out wide this year. Mitchell's a tight end. He'll line up everywhere, so I think you'll see them kind of uh, mix and match there, where 
you know, I think they were hoping that Payout might be able to play a little more than a little more consistently than anyone else. I think what's very interesting about this is Fuente went on to say that Tavion Robinson has been practicing outside. That was a little surprising for me to hear it just because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's a great slot, you know, personnel. Obviously, like you mentioned, bringing in a guy like Raheem Blackshear, you want to get him touches all over the field. And some of those touches will come from the slot. Some of them will come from the backfield. Who knows if he'll play out wide or not. So, you know, even if payout were completely healthy, I'm sure, like you said, we would see all different types of players in different spots. But I think even more so with him out, you kind of have to find, you know, you have to move a Tavion to outside maybe now, whereas before maybe he would just be in the slot and and finding different combinations to get your best guys on the field. It's going to be very interesting. And I think, you know, the key part to wide receiver will be Changa Hodge and Evan Fares. Obviously, we haven't seen them in the Virginia Tech uniform. We don't know what they'll bring at this competition. Changa Hodge was a guy that had a thousand receiving yards when he was at Villanova. How does that compare to playing in the ACC? Evan Fares, really not the most productive guy. Even when he was at Kansas, he always played maybe third, fourth fiddle for the Jayhawks. So coming into this offense, will those guys produce a lot i think the ultimate outlook for this wide receiver room you know what you're getting in trey turner now it's about getting the most out of all these other guys none of them probably will see over 700 yards i i, I don't see that happening in receiving but if they can all play a part if they can all get onto the field at some point and, and make an impact i think that's all you can really ask for at this point this is a clear spot where not having spring practice is probably hurting Virginia Tech talk a little bit about Robinson moving outside I know Jafar Jafar Williams mentioned that before everything got um postponed or canceled in the spring as a possibility but I mean that's if he could have had that spring practice to learn outside receiver I think he's a lot more comfortable and I think the coaching staff is a lot more comfortable with him out there um with the spring and in August as opposed to just in August basically so uh yeah, I think wide receiver, I mean, and the same can be said for guys like Bowick and Simmons and those kind of guys are returning. So um, I think payout probably had the highest ceiling of any of those guys that we're talking about. Hodge is probably the next guy based on what he did at Villanova in terms of what he could do ceiling-wise this year. And then I think guys like Fairs and Simmons and Smith and um, Bowick are probably all in that same kind of you know they're not they're not going to blow anybody away with production or athleticism or anything that like that, but they can probably catch a couple um, critical passes at some point in the season. The next big storyline from the press conference is the starter at quarterback, Hendon Hooker. But there's a twist: Braxton Burmeister will play. It's a never a straightforward situation <laughs> for Virginia Tech at quarterback. Justin Fuente has never had the same guy start back-to-back seasons all 12 games. They can't even play 12 games next year, but Hennon Hooker will be the starting quarterback. Braxton Burmeister will play. Now, I heard rumblings of Braxton Burmeister. I mentioned Johnny Manziel. This guy, from what I've heard, makes a ton of plays, had a ton of touchdowns in multiple scrimmages, So I'm not surprised to hear him play. What I'm surprised about is the fact that it's 
a two quarterback system, maybe we're putting too much stock into that by just simply hearing Justin Fuente say, okay, both guys will play because that could literally be anything. However, it just, it kind of concerns me that you're pairing Brad Cornelson with two quarterbacks and saying, here's 90 plays that you can give these two guys, figure it out within 30 seconds between plays, how you're going to divvy up the reps, how you're going to put these guys in. Honestly, I don't, I don't see it as a 50-50 situation. I don't see it as a straightforward two-quarterback system. I think it's like things we've seen in the past where Hendon Hooker is going to play 85% of the game. You're going to see two or three quarterback runs for Quincy Patterson, like we saw you know, last year, two years ago. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what that package truly looks like. Braxton Burmeister... Obviously, probably the most athletic quarterback in the room. However, it's Hendon Hooker, his consistency, his ability to hold on to the rock, not turn the ball over, and do just enough with his legs that ultimately sealed quarterback one status for him. I think it's, I think it says a lot about uh, what Braxton Burmeister has done in terms of making plays that he's basically forced Fuente. He's good enough to. F- as a football coach, you lose the locker room if you don't play the guys that are deserving of playing. So um, he he's basically good enough that he has to play some, and he's proven that on the field. So, um, you know, he's taking reps from Hooker, who, you know, going back to last year, I always think about the quote, I think it was from Cornelson heading into the belt bowl about how you stand behind him and you know that he knows exactly what he's doing with the football and the offense, which... I mean that's that's got to be huge for them evaluating quarterbacks, and that means it's even more impressive that Burmeister convinced them to take whether it's fifty fifty, which I definitely don't think it's going to be that. But at some level, Burmeister is taking snaps away from Hidden Hooker, who, by all accounts, had complete control of the offense. So you know it's the the, the two quarterback system. Anytime you're playing two quarterbacks, it's a big old target on the back. Of the offensive coaches. So they're, they're, um, you know, if it doesn't work, then there's a lot of ammo there for people to talk about. So I think it's always going to be a challenge, especially, you know, you look at hooker and Burmeister and, you know, they're completely different players and that hookers four or five inches taller than Burmeister or whatever. But in terms of their skill set, they're a little redundant almost. And, you know, hooker could run, pretty darn effectively as well. So it's not like, you know, in 2007, Virginia Tech did it with Tyrod Taylor and Sean Glennon, and those are two completely different quarterbacks where Taylor brought the the ground element that Glennon just didn't have. Um, But that's not really the case here, so it's going to be a little more difficult, I think, to, to... to figure out when, you know, Hidden Hooker can run around the right side almost as good as Braxton Burmeister. But again, that means Burmeister is that talented and explosive that even that even though Hooker can probably do it as well as Burmeister can, that that the coaches have decided that Burmeister brings something to the table. So I think there's a but beyond that, there's a lot of uncertainty now about when do you bring him in? Is this like a uh is this like a, you know, switch them out every kind of every couple plays, like in the middle of a series, or is Burmeister going to get a series of two or a half? Um, I think there's a lot going on there um, that 
you know, we just don't know at this point. And so it'll be really, really interesting to see. It's a lot easier to pick. It would have been a lot easier to just pick Hendon Hooker as the full-time starter. And, uh, and that's it. And, and I don't think anybody would have batted an eye at that, but now, now you're going to have to figure out a way week in and week out to be effective playing two quarterbacks, which is hard, but certainly possible. Um, and I know they mentioned they might get two of them on the field at the same time, which would be exciting. Yeah, and I definitely want to dive into that. One thing I will say, with the current pandemic going on, not knowing who's going to be available each week, maybe we can read into it a little more. I, I do agree. You could just say Hooker's quarterback one. That's it. Burmeister's number two. Quincy's number three. You set your depth chart. Leave it at that. However, I do think bringing on a guy, maybe giving him a little bit of the in-game reps, get him caught up to speed. We already talked about this isn't a normal circumstance. And even with Braxton Burmeister being on Tech's campus for two years, the first year he couldn't practice with the ones. He couldn't practice when he didn't receive his waiver to play. And then, you know, pretty much living in a pandemic, not being able to see receivers on the team, practice the playbook. It hasn't been easy for him, and I'm sure he still has a long ways to go in regards to learning the offense and how much mastery that Hooker has from his time at Tech. So I think this might be a way to jumpstart him, get him a little more accustomed to the playbook. And if anything were to happen to Hendon Hooker, boom, you got your next guy. Maybe that's as much as we need to read into it more so than it's a two quarterback system. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, it's, I think Hooker is still going to play the majority of the snaps. I don't know if it's going to be a slight majority or a vast majority, but I think he's still mostly the guy that'll have, especially at the end of games, if he, if they need to win the game. Um, the other thing I thought, you know, I, I think about is it's uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that they waited until this time to announce it. You know, I think, I guess they could have waited until early next week and really throw an UVA curveball, but um, you know, I, I think it, you could might've been a little gamesmanship here to say, all right, UVA uh, you've probably, I'm sure Virginia tech has been studying UVA as much as they can. And UVA has been doing the same thing. And here's a little curveball for you with, you know, nine or 10 days to go. And, you know, UVA is probably dealing with the same thing Virginia Tech is with quarantine people and COVID and all that stuff. So now, now figure out what you're going to do with if Virginia Tech plays two quarterbacks. So um, it's going to be interesting for sure. <laughs> I feel bad for the quality control coach that has to go three years back to Oregon highlights of Braxton Burmeister. And he's like, well, coach, you know, he's really fast, but you know, this is from three years ago. I don't really know. Maybe the high school huddles, you know, yeah. there's you, not a lot of information out there. Do you want to see the high school huddle highlights? He was really good apparently, but, uh, but yeah, some, some quality control coach in Charlottesville is pouring over that right now. Or maybe they should get a drone and fly it over Blacksburg's campus. That might be the only way to do it. But uh, one thing I do want to mention on the quarterback or the quarterbacks being sorted out, Quincy Patterson, kind of the odd man out. And uh, today during the press conference, he was the first one up to speak. And I think that, you know, that's that's a really tough spot to be in. First of all, when your head coach is at the podium 
praising two guys and of course he praised Quincy Patterson but it you know it seemed more like coach speak more than anything and you know to firmly commit to two guys and say you know both will play we're really proud of Quincy and to have Quincy Patterson kind of soak up all the attention from the media answer questions if he's going to change positions you know moments after finding out he's not really going to factor in next year must be super hard so I definitely feel for Quincy Patterson you know still a tremendous talent and you know obviously it's it's tough when uh, you know, you've seen what Hooker brings to the table and from everything we're hearing about Braxton Burmeister and how he's kind of that X factor, it makes sense. And we all seen from what Quincy Patterson was able to do against uh, North Carolina and Notre Dame that, you know, he still has a ways to go and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just it's tough in the moment when there's three quarterbacks and you're the odd man out. Yeah, I mean, kudos to him for going out there you're essentially the not even the you're the second loser of the competition at that point i guess if burmeister is technically the first loser um but i think they're all gonna play i mean you're looking at i mean everybody's talked about the, the covid impact and guys sitting out at at various times you know you, you you're i don't think anybody's feeling confident that they're gonna have all three quarterbacks and i think that's one of the advantages virginia tech has this season is that they have, I think Fuente talked about it today. They have three guys who've won P five games. Um, so I don't, you know, Patterson's still got a world of ability and he's still got a world of potential and he gets an extra year of eligibility now and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I think, he, I think he's going to definitely have a role at some point in the year. I, you know, I, I find it difficult to believe Virginia Tech's going to have a three quarterback system reliably. Um, or maybe they'll put them all three out on the field at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, just uh, he's that's, that's in line with everything we know about him since he stepped on campus is, I mean, stepping up to the podium after basically getting announced as the third string quarterback. And, you know, he seems, he seems all in and all about the team and that's exactly what you would want. Yeah. And on the bright side, He's able to retain this year with and, you know, maybe that'll be beneficial in the long run for him, whether he's at Virginia Tech or elsewhere. Um, But I do I did say I wanted to dive into Fuente saying that potentially two quarterbacks could be on the field at the same time. He didn't specify which ones. So Quincy might still have a role. And I'd like to further bring that to three quarterbacks on the field at at the same time. I think it's possible. I don't know what you think. I I. You know the jet sweep, the jet sweep jokes write themselves. I, I don't think there's any way Braxton Burmeister does not run a jet sweep this season. Um, but you know you could do like a you know a little triple option with you know Patterson as the B back right behind Hooker and Burmeister running that sweep thing. I mean, there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, I would love to see that. I, would, I mean, we even talked about it last year, potentially seeing a formation with Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson, Patterson at running back. So, I mean, he's six four, two forty five, 245 battering ram, you know, didn't, I feel like during like the Carolina replay thing they did, they talked about how they had that as a, that, that was in the, something was in the playbook with both of them on the field at the same time. Um, so, you know, <laughs> they've pl- certainly had plenty of time over the last four months to think about stuff. So hopefully they put some formations in. Look, overall, I 
I kind of feel for Cornelson here. I mean, he gets a lot of flack on on social media for his handling of jet sweeps and calling plays, and now we're giving him way too many ideas here. So maybe maybe stick to the two quarterback formations. Just you know, have that package out there, but you know, if, stick to the basics for now. A little sidebar here, but if you if you don't like the jet sweeps, then you shouldn't watch any Virginia Tech football this year because between Turner Robinson. Mitchell and Blackshear. Those are four legitimate jet sweep recipients. And then we just threw out Braxton Burmeister as a fifth. So I mean, they're coming and they're decently effective. Um, so just, just prepare for that. <laughs> Forget the spread offense. We're going horizontal offense here. Uh, <laughs> all right. Next up, we have height and weight updates. It's always so, exciting. I mean, it, it's actually kind of comical, and of course, we're going to cover it and and evaluate what happened. But it is kind of interesting that there are you know grown adults out there that uh, you know pay attention to how much X player gained weight or lost weight. And with that said, let's dive and evaluate. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> All right. So obviously, we could go through the entire roster. I feel like 50% of the players were updated. The other 50% kind of remain the same. There are some key takeaways here, all jokes aside. The first number that popped out at me was Keyshawn King. Keyshawn King obviously had a, a pretty solid freshman year. And the one concern we said week after week was his durability. He had the potential. He had all the qualities and tangibles to be a good running back. His problem was he couldn't last over 10 carries per game. He is down seven pounds from 182 to 175. Immediate reaction to that. It's definitely not the way you want to go for a sophomore running back. Um, Looking at it now, he's the seventh lightest player on the roster. He's the same weight as uh, John Parker Romo, who's the kickoff specialist um so you know that he was the guy i think he's the guy that you clearly look at and say covid in terms of sending kids home away from the training facilities of chain tech and all that um being being away from blacksburg for three or four months clearly uh did not you know he was 182 last year i think realistically you would hope for like 195 this year and said he went backwards so you know i think he's still enormously talented um you know he's he was the most talented running back most purely talented running back on the roster last year um he's just too small and he's probably too small again this year um which is which is unfortunate for him because you know he's clearly got the potential to be an every down back and a a really successful one at that, but I don't think given the additions Virginia Tech made with Herbert and Blackshear and Jalen Holston coming back, I think, you know, I think a small role for him doesn't necessarily hurt Virginia Tech this year because of what they did to, to kind of guard against that. Um, you know, if they put all their eggs in the Kishon King basket and, all of a sudden dealing with him at 175 pounds and trying to figure out how to get him through, especially how the Virginia Tech schedule is right now, 10 games in 10 weeks. You know, I think that's, that's, um, 
that probably wouldn't have worked out. But um, I still think he's got a really bright future. He gets the extra year like everybody else. So um, maybe heading into next year is now the year where you look for him to to, to pack on that you know, 20, 25 pounds that he really needs. But um, I think he's still got a role, but maybe not as big as it potentially could have been. Yeah, and this might be an unpopular opinion with a lot of people, knowing how talented he is. There were rumors that he could possibly opt out for the season. He did go home, and I think, you know, bringing him back to Virginia Tech where he has the facilities, he has the nutritionists, he has, you know, everything lined up for him to be successful, to become the player that he's supposed to be. And with the depth that Virginia Tech brought in in the running back room, I almost think it's not a bad thing to treat this as a redshirt year and almost try to, you know, learn under those guys, learn under Raheem Blackshear, Khalil Herbert, and and see, you know, just put him in a better situation for the long term. So he could have a role. I'm not opposed to it whatsoever. But at the very least, I think I'm I'm more comfortable with him being on Virginia Tech's campus and you know being monitored that way as opposed to him being at home. I think he's at least going to be on kick returns at at some point. I don't know if the whole uh, you know Tech's got a lot of options there, but I know they liked what he did there. Um, last year and you know as a he's essentially i you know i think herbert and holston if you're looking at the running back room herbert and holston are similar in how they run and then probably blackshear and king are similar as you know more speed elusive shifty guys so i think i think there's a small role but i agree that you know he needs having him on campus if you can get him um trending in the right direction physically you know you look at next year as as his big year some other notes from some of the weight changes on the roster joshua fuga fuga at 6'3 and 323 pounds i mean look this is an nfl body right now for tnt and you know i don't know how he'll factor into the mix you already have crawford you have hewitt uh, Pollard and Kendricks, you know, is Fuga going to be that fifth guy? Maybe again, we keep talking about, you're going to need these guys ready to play. You never know who's going to go down, but having a guy at Fuga, at least just from a pure physical stature standpoint is really encouraging to see that, you know, he's got the size to do it. Now let's see if he can put it all together and get on the field. Tech is in great shape, a defensive tackle for the next two or three years um recruiting defensive tackles is a different story but definitely fuga 323 pounds i think he's probably 19 uh essentially came in the same year or did come in the same year with pollard and kendricks so i think you know i mean feel comfortable with four defensive tackles that you can rotate in at any time and are essentially at you know i consider crawford Hewitt, Hewitt, Kendricks, and Pollard probably co-starters more than anything at this point in terms of their ability. And if Fuga can get in there, I don't think you know I don't think you hesitate to to play more defensive linemen if they're all you know if they're all good enough, um, especially this year. I mean, mentioned it before, and we'll probably mention it throughout the <laughs> until this thing doesn't. Still, Tech doesn't have any more games on the schedule, but I mean, Tech's looking at playing 10 games in 10 weeks um, with 
COVID and all that stuff. So uh, more, the more the better. And Fuga is definitely physically, physically ready to go. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Last thoughts on all the changes. The offensive line. Doug Nestor, Lasita Smith, Brian Hudson, Christian Derrissaw, Luke Tenuta, Brock Hoffman. This might not only be the most talented offensive line room we've seen in a very long time, but it in, in terms of height, weight, measurables of offensive linemen, it is a scary room. And this is one of Virginia Tech's biggest assets moving forward yes biggest is uh they're biggest in every biggest in every sense of the word um you know i'm looking at (laughs) there's only three offensive linemen that are under 300 pounds right now two of them are walk on freshmen's freshmen who are uh 284 and 290 themselves so good on them Parker Clements is the other guy who we've heard great things about. As a true freshman, he's at 292. But from there, you're just going straight up. I mean, Hoyt, Hudson, 310, 310, Darisol, 314, Tenuta's 315. This is a this is a group we've talked about it all offseason. They're deep. There's a lot of them that can play and have experience, and they are all physically uh, physically imposing. Nestor is the guy that I think you really look at it. Um, played last year. Pretty well for a true freshman. I think he was probably a little early. He could have used a smaller role, if not a red shirt. Um, and to see him come in at 327, ready to rock, I think he's a guy that you look at. could potentially be a, I guess now with an extra year, he could potentially be a five-year starter at right guard for, for Tech. So, um, I mean, Offensive line is going to be one of the strengths for, or it should be one of the strengths for Virginia Tech this year, and they definitely, uh, they definitely put in the work. You hope it's all good weight, uh, which I guess is you a don't potential. Know. I guess if we're talking about King losing weight at home, we could be talking about offensive linemen adding bad weight at home as well. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, they they're deep and talented and and big enough to to really make a difference this year. And just a slight mention of. TJ Jackson at 377 pounds. Goal line <laughs> packages ahead for sure. Uh, but jokes aside, <laughs> I don't final... know. I, I don't know if you can play at 377. He's uh, it's probably not pa- good weight. <laughs> I think he's 45 pounds heavier than the second heaviest player on the roster. So um, <laughs> that's a big, big person. <laughs> yeah, he's. He's uh, more than double in weight of Keyshawn King, so that's slightly uh, concerning. Anyways, any final thoughts on any of the updates on the online roster in terms of height, weight, whatever it may be? The only one that I think we haven't covered is Alan Tisdale. Is a little concerning. He dropped down. I think he dropped 10 pounds from last year's listed weight to 210. So if he's the backer, is that... Um, is that too small? I don't know. Uh, 
I, I kind of envision him and Hollyfield still splitting time, and Dax is a little bit of the bigger guy who can handle a little more, a little more of the inside game, and maybe Tisdale's more of that rangier guy that they're looking to um, in those situations. So maybe it plays into their hands as far as formulating some kind of rotation there. But um, two hundred and ten pound linebackers seems a little light. Um, just looking, I mean. You look at like, like Shamari Connor is a defensive back, and he's the same weight essentially as Alan Tisdale. So, I think that's a concern, but maybe it'll work out. Yeah, we'll see. And of course, we don't know what Justin Hamilton will do. We already know the rover no longer exists. That's rest in peace. Rest in peace, rover. But other than that, you know, maybe he has something in mind for Tisdale. We'll find out when Tech hits the field for week one, if they hit the field for week one. But let's close this out with looking at the rest of the roster. And, you know, we're, we're starting to learn more. We're hearing more names week after week. I want to know, how does this roster stack up for 2020? And, you know, wh- what group to you sticks out the most as this is the most solid group on either the offense or defense. We can start with offense. Yeah, I, I touched on it earlier, so I'll keep this brief. But I think it's the offensive line. Um, Fuente has mentioned them repeatedly since the start of camp um, about how impressive they've been and the work and the talent they have there. They've got, you know, the six or seven guys that are kind of their first-tier options. You're talking about Tisdale and Smith and Hudson and Hoffman and. Nestor and Tenuto probably. Um, and then you've got probably another five or six guys that the Austin Cannons, Hyo Stanzi, Zach Hoyt, those kind of guys that um, have plenty of experience playing. Um, they're probably a notch below the other guys, but I mean, this is a group that's going to be, that has 10 to 11 guys that, um, that, that have played significant snaps at the ACC level, which is, I think that's, significantly more than Virginia Tech has ever had available. You know, I can, you know, probably (laughs) every year for the last 10 years, Virginia Tech, you hear them, we're looking for like their seven or eight best guys and just hoping to get to seven or eight. I think they have seven, six or seven really good guys that they really like and probably feel comfortable playing 10 or 11 of them. So I think offensive line is... As far as one position, I think that's the most complete and deep and experienced position on the on the team. And not only that, but Vance Vice being able to plug in guys at different spots and find success. And he's a creative offensive line coach. And honestly, I think that's the best way to be. Um, and he, he finds a formula to make it work. And you're talking about a COVID season. If a guy goes down, he'll know how to shuffle the lineup to get all those guys ready to play. We got Hoffman. You think about it. He apparently played every position on the line last year. He's at least a center and a guard. Hudson's probably a center guard or tackle. Nestor could probably slide out the tackle if he needed to. Um, you know, I think probably the only guy, two guys that don't really translate elsewhere are Darisol and uh, Smith. But, you know, I think there's flexibility all over the place. Danzy it's a guy that's played right guard and right tackle now so i think there's a lot of flexibility there my pick is with the running backs i think you know i was i was debating between the running backs and the quarterbacks obviously having three guys that have won a power five game for virginia tech in the quarterback room is certainly depth there 
Um, but I'm going with the running backs just because I feel like every single year when I assess Virginia Tech, running backs are usually the weakest group for Virginia Tech heading into that season for the offense. And for the first time, I want to praise them and say that, you know, this is the group I'm most excited about. There's so many guys in the running back room. I think Adam Lechtenberg and Brad Cornelson have done a really good job at identifying guys that they want to bring in. I think they did an exceptional job in the transfer market, bringing in Khalil Herbert and Raheem Blackshear. And to add to that, every single person that talks about Raheem Blackshear cannot bring him down one level. They always put him in the stratosphere. I mean, they, they're hyping him up to the point where I cannot say any, any other position group other than running backs because of what Raheem Blackshear does. And I don't even know if he's a running back. You know, he could be playing all over the field. Maybe he'll even get reps at tight end. Who knows? But I think with the way Virginia Tech is set up and, you know, there's so much attention paid to who's the quarterback going to be. But I think, you know, Virginia Tech is deceivingly a very good rushing team. And I think they will be a team that can be at the top of the conference, even with the Notre Dames and Clemson's in running the football. So I'm really excited to see what they can do. And I think they have a lot of bodies there. I'm excited to see Holston back in the mix wearing number zero running backs is my pick there. I I think running back is probably as far as from last year, or even two or three years ago, the improvement the talent improvement there as far as what the ceiling is for that group could make a huge difference for the entire offense. Virginia Tech's basically the last two or three years had to figure out how to, how to put forth an offense that doesn't rely heavily on a, on a running on a ground game led by running backs. Um, That's even going back to Jared Evans first year when he, basically put the team on his back as a, as a runner himself. So, um, you know, it's no disrespect to Stephen Peoples and Deshaun McLeese and those kind of guys. But um, if you can get a, a true number one tailback, I think as far as opening up the rest of the offense, especially when you're talking about playing two guys at quarterback and hooker and, and uh, Burmeister that can also run, I think, I think that opens up a huge thing. So I think the improvement Herbert and Blackshear, those additions in particular are um, potentially huge for what the offense can do. Yeah. And I know I said most comfortable unit for 2020. The one caveat here is I'm interested to see how Adam Lechtenberg handles this group. He's a guy that steps in first time running backs coach I joke around and say, ace in the hole, Adam Lechtenberg, guy on the trail, just going down to Texas, going to California, going to all the JUCOs around the country, and just taking the top prospects underneath, you know, other top programs across the country. But, you know, I am curious to see what his on-field coaching looks like, how he will manage it. There's a lot of guys in that room, which is a very good problem to have. But it could turn out to, you know, bite Virginia Tech in the rear end if they're not able to manage it correctly. I think the best thing Adam Lechtenberg can do for what the fan base thinks of him is find the number one guy and give him 20 carries a game. Um, I don't think besides jet sweeps, I think uh, running back by committee is probably the least liked approach any offensive coach could have to deal with um, 
So I think if you get a Khalil Herbert in there, he gets 15 to 20, and that's it. And, you know, sprinkle and elsewhere, I think people will be to be will be very happy. Um, I don't, <laughs> I just always go back to 2010, I think it was, when Tech had Ryan Williams, David Wilson, and Darren Evans on the same team and tried a running back by committee approach that uh, it seemed to it left a lot to be desired. Um, so if, if Lechtenberg wants a good start to his coaching career, I just say stick with one guy. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting. Cause if to this point of the podcast, quarterbacks have been by committee, running backs by committee and wide receivers by committee. So let's just shift things over to the defensive <laughs> side. We could talk about most comfortable units for each of us. We could start off with you. One, one position group you're most comfortable with. Uh, I'm not going to go with a position group. I'll go with defensive tackles. Okay. Like I I talked about earlier, uh, you have Crawford, Hewitt, Pollard, and Kendricks at least, who you can rotate in. I mean, Tech normally, Tech's played seasons with three guys, um, (laughs) three defensive tackles. So now they have four. I think you can make it, you can, in a normal year, you would expect to make it if they can add Fuga. That's a fifth defensive tackle that they're comfortable with. I think, you know, if you wanted to extend it and talk about the defensive line, I'm not as comfortable at end yet. Um, Justice Reed is a huge addition there. Losing Taiwan Garbit as expect as they're expected is a is a loss. I think him and him and Belmar probably would have split time and Reed probably gobbles up most of the snaps there. So I think there's a lot of uncertainty still, even with Reed's addition at defensive end, but up the middle, you know, I think you look at Virginia Tech's defense, and this kind of veers off your one position group, but if you look at Virginia Tech's defense up the middle with the defensive tackles, and then to Rayshard Ashby, and then to uh, Divine Diablo at free safety, I think they're really strong up the middle. Um, I think there's question marks at defensive end, at quarterback now, at uh, whatever they're calling uh, Rover now. I think those are the those are the concerns, but... Um, as far as where I'm most comfortable, I think you just rotate in the defensive tackles all the time. Just boundary safety now. No more boundary rover. safety. <laughs> Once again, all right, RIP Rover. But um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that's a really good assessment of Virginia Tech's defense right down the middle. Very strong. And that's why I'm going with linebackers. I think when you look at the group and maybe it's cheating a little bit. I mean, we both look at it, you know, we have two spots to pick from with both the linebackers and the defensive tackles. Um, But, you know, looking at guys like Rayshard Ashby, Mr. Consistent, Dax Hollyfield, and kind of overshadowed by Rayshard Ashby and not playing his own natural position of Mike, but Hollyfield has been a very solid contributor for Virginia Tech. He's not a perfect outside linebacker by any means, and that's why you've seen Alan Tisdale that factors in there. And then obviously, you know, a name that a lot of people haven't really heard of is Keyshawn Artis, and he's been impressing a lot of people, and it's tough to kind of crack that mix right now with those three guys in front of him. But, you know, I think the versatility of all four guys, maybe Rayshard Ashby is the most consistent in his spot and you wouldn't really see him anywhere else but you know they have a lot of talented players in that room and I think no matter which way you chop it up that you're going to get a good end result from the linebacker group 
Yeah, I totally agree. I he, you know, Ash, they're not, he's not playing back or anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, or whip. But, yeah. Or, or, whip. <laughs> or whip. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Hollyfield being able to play backer, Mike artists, I think artists could play backer Mike in a, if he needed to Tisdale, maybe not, but I think there's options there. And, you know, people forget that Dax is just a junior this year. Like his career has flown by and, you know, he was thrown into the fray as a freshman and played six or seven games. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody on that defense was particularly, you know, at the, at the point of career where they should play as much as they did. But, you know, I think, you can start to expect a little more from him even in his third year, essentially as a starter. So um, I think the linebackers are probably the strongest um, position besides, of course, like I was talking about correctly, the defensive tackles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see TNT versus Tracy Clay's new coaches all around. So it'll be interesting. I, the I mystery that is Tracy Clay's. Yeah, I haven't seen Tracy Clay's. I haven't <laughs> heard from Tracy Clay's on social media. He's doing something. I just he's doing he's something. He's just out there coaching linebackers. He's just coaching, goes home, sleeps, coaches again. That's all he does. Uh maybe recruits a little. Uh but let's flip it on to the other side here. The position groups we're not so comfortable with. We can start off with the offense. For you, what position group? If one guy goes down, if two guys go down, are you saying this is going to be ugly really fast. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with wide receiver here just because I think Trey Turner is he's talent. He's a number one receiver and he's talented enough to draw that that attention um, from the top from the other team's top cover corner, from some safety help over the top, from defensive. I mean, he's the guy that, as far as the pass catching threat, teams are going to. Um, really prepare for and I think if you lose that I don't think Virginia Tech has anyone else at this point that uh that quite can get there you know Robinson has had a great freshman year and certainly is headed for a really really productive year but I don't think he's there yet as far as a you know a a playmaking threat that teams are gonna have to really really think about Blackshear you know he's gonna be all over the field he's more of a slot running back kind of guy so I don't you know, I think having having a true number one receiver like Turner is huge for the passing game, huge um, as far as the attention that he commands when he's out wide. Um, and I think if you if you lose him, especially with <laughs> with the situation at the number two spot outside where we don't really know who's going to be there anymore without with payout um, out of the lineup. But um, I think. I think losing Turner would be a big, big blow for the offense. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I was going to cheat here a little bit and say wide receiver slash tight end. When I look at the tight end room, you lose Dalton Keene. He's on the Patriots with Bill Belichick right now. James Mitchell's ready for a star role. You know, he's a guy that can do it all. He's a guy that can even play out wide. And, you know, we haven't really talked about that too much. But, you know, he really shines as a receiver great blocker and he's a goal line running back for Brad Cornelson. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that can do a bit of everything. We've heard, you know, raving reviews about Nick Gallo and how good he is, uh, doing all the small things. And, you know, we'll see if he's, you know, can contribute in a pass in a pass catching, uh, sense, but you know, those two guys, 
I feel very confident about. I think they make one of the best one-two duos at tight end in the ACC right now. But the problem is you lose Mitchell or you lose Gallo. All of a sudden, you might be on to Wilfred Penne, an incoming freshman wearing 91 and just came from France. You know, didn't even know if he was going to make it to Blacksburg because of travel restrictions. And I know you can say Drake DeLulis is on the roster. I haven't seen him. I haven't heard from him. I haven't heard him mentioned. So it's really scary after Mitchell and Gallo. And I'm really uncertain what you do. Maybe you abandon the tight end position altogether if, if, one of the, if both those guys go down. Because I really don't know which way you go. Yeah. And they're both so different. Uh, that either losing either one of them is going to be an issue. James Mitchell, you you covered all the places he's going to line up. I think he's going to be more like Bucky Hodges was in 2016 as a receiver, and then uh, so you know you lose him and you lose that ability um, to line him up all over the field. I think he's probably going to be the second or third leading receiver this year. Um, and then Gallo, like you, you said, I mean that he he's a guy that any uh, conservative roster management would have redshirted last year um, as a third tight end behind um, a third round draft pick in Dalton Keene and Mitchell. You know, he didn't play a big role, but he was good enough to play and um, they played him. And I think that's going to pay off this year is, is what you touched on. Everything we've heard is he's very, very talented. And if you lose him, you either can't then put Mitchell where you want to a lot, whether moving him around. So he's got to become more of a traditional tight end, which I don't think he's, that's not his best role. Or you got to bring in, like you mentioned, Penney or, um, or a walk on tight end. Um, you, you lose a lot if you lose Gallo, as far as that, having that basically sixth offensive lineman um, and, and knowing how much Dalton Keene did for the offense. And, expecting that Gallo probably fills some of the some of that role. I don't know if he'll fill the whole the whole thing and be as good as Dalton Keene was, you know, in twenty twenty, but um certainly losing him and those responsibilities would be would be a pretty big blow. Yeah, and just to clarify, I know you know, the casual fan will look at Dalton Keene and look at his stat line and say, okay, he was good against Miami. Wow, three touchdowns and, you know, he's great and all that. But I think the value of Dalton Keene and now Nick Gallo, when I say doing the small things, you know, playing H-back for the offense, you know, setting setting the line, setting where the running back's going to go, organizing the offense. And, you know, it really does, it really is such a big role for this offense, and it's another guy blocking um, and and putting the offense in different formations. So I think Nick Gallo is going to be clutch in that sense, not so much in the sense of you know James Mitchell, who's going to get all the glory from catching passes, being a red zone threat, going on the outside, you know, being the goal line back in the jet sweep formation. So uh, again, you know, two vastly different tight ends, both under the same position group, so to speak, but. You know, it it really will be interesting because both have such big responsibilities in their own right. And if one of them goes down, you know, it, it's it, it will be tough to try to fill that void. If Gallo goes down, you're essentially turning Virginia Tech's 
I mean, Mitchell's not a traditional tight end. He's going to, I would think they would still line him up at, you know, that kind of H back slot. So occasionally out wide roll. You're, I, I feel like if Gallo go, goes down and they don't have a replacement, you kind of turn the offense into like a, like a almost an air raid type offense where it's four and five wide all the time. Yeah. And um, it would just be a completely different shift. And you talked about that Miami game that Dalton Keene had last year, but that's exactly the role that Gallo fills as this like traditional inline tight end. Who's really good as a blocker, but he's also a threat in the passing game, but not so much of a threat that people dedicate resources to him and that's what you saw at Miami when Keen was just in in Mitchell too were just running wide open um because of how Virginia Tech had schemed that scheme them open. So you I mean when you look at Virginia Tech's offense as a whole with with like we talked about earlier, the expected improvement at running back, Blackshear, Turner, Robinson, all that stuff. I mean you're looking at Gallo as probably like the fifth or sixth option and you know that that's that's a recipe for him to be wide open with other people worried about other people safety valve right moving on to the defense the position group that you are least comfortable with i think i'm going to steal yours here uh, <laughs> i think it's corner um uh 4 months ago was not corner uh Virginia Tech was as, in as good a shape there as any team in the country um, until Caleb Farley opted out. And now you're just left with Jermaine Waller. And if he goes down, um, you know, I think it, I think it's clear the positions that the coaches are worried about in terms of who they brought in in August as graduate transfers and bring in Devin Taylor from Illinois State clearly says we might need a little more help there at corner. Um so if Waller goes down, I mean, you're looking at Armani Chapman, Breon Murray, Devin Taylor, maybe a Dorian Strong if he plays a little bit as a freshman. Um, you know, that's a that's a that's a scenario where Virginia Tech could go from projected to have the best cornerback duo in the country to, you know, the I don't want to say worst, but the least <laughs> the least proven at least. Right, and I think you know another, I think Armani Chapman is a great prospect for Virginia Tech. I don't I don't know if he's quite at the level where, you know, again, you're kind of spoiled as a Virginia Tech fan af- after witnessing last year and seeing Farley constantly lauded as, you know, maybe the best cornerback prospect um, and, you know, now looks to be a first-round draft pick in the 2021 NFL draft. And then Waller, a guy that was up there, among the best in the ACC, um, you know, vying for, you know, one of the best corners in the nation. Uh, so when when you kind of transition off of that, it's kind of unfair to Armani Chapman. Um, but I think you did see a considerable drop off. And even in the game against Kentucky, where you're playing against a Lynn Bowden, who's running the ball 30 times a game and is a converted wide receiver that doesn't really throw, you know, he was still getting beat in one-on-one situations by receivers, even if they weren't throwing the ball in that particular play. So um, I do think he's a good cover corner. I don't think he's great or elite yet. Um, And so if he is the one that will be thrusted into 
you know, cornerback one territory, I think that's when it gets a little scary. I think you feel good about Waller. Um, but again, you know, bringing in guys like Devin Taylor, uh, Breon Murray, who's been getting a lot of, you know, glowing reviews. Um, you're not as comfortable there just because you haven't seen them in those same situations. Yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech had it teed up to have a nice lineage of cornerbacks here. When you talk about going from Farley and Waller this year to probably Farley leaves for the NFL and Waller takes over as number one. And then Chapman sides and Chapman's, you know, we, we've talked a lot about 2018 and a little bit of 2019 in guys having to play before they were ready to play. Um, and that was the reason for the struggles. And you look at Virginia Tech's team now, and I think probably the only player in the starting lineup that is playing before he's ready to play could be Armani Chapman. 2021, he, I think he would have been, you know, essentially two years as a backup and then ready to take over as a starter. Now he's, getting forced into maybe a little bit of a bigger role than um, than he would typically be ready for. Um, but, but that's 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 the hand they were dealt. I and mean, you've seen them try and bring in Taylor and Murray is a guy um, who played a little bit last year. So I think there's help there. And, you know, maybe he doesn't play all the time and certainly, but um, I think as far as if Waller's playing, even if, even if tech doesn't lose Waller, it's still the position where I think defenses are going to zero in on and say this is if if you're going to attack Virginia Tech's defense right off the bat, you know if you're UVA or NC State, you're looking at Armani Chapman, Devin Hunter, maybe those are the guys you're going to test. Absolutely. Well, that will wrap it up for us tonight. Obviously, that was football little- discussion. That was actual football discussion. Look, we have we have a lot more that we could go into, but we're going to cut it there. We're going to jump back in next week. We're going to talk UVA, preview it. It's going to be week one. The jitters are coming back slowly. <laughs> we didn't do any questions tonight. Didn't want to run too far over the time limit, but we'll bring back some questions next week, and we'll dive into a little bit more. There's going to be more press conferences. There's going to be more news, maybe a depth chart that we could break down. It's all exciting times ahead. We've got uh, team-wide COVID tests on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to get through. So, Fingers crossed. Fingers fingers crossed. (laughs) And we got... Hopefully, fingers crossed, football in 10 days. But we'll see you before then. We'll see you guys next week. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.